Welcome to the History of California podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. We've been off for a few weeks, and I'm so happy to be back. It's important when you're in the business of the kind of intellectual work that it takes to produce a podcast such as this, that you give yourself some much-needed time off. In particular, I use that time to find a beach somewhere and read some of those big novels that just sit on your bookshelf staring at you. But again, I'm happy to be back, and I have some great narrative and interview episodes coming your way from topics like the urban history of Oakland to wine and Hollywood gangsters. Today, though, we are taking a break from our story that we were continuing for the past few months on politics in the 1850s to discuss one of my favorite artists that we covered in our interview with Dr. Jenny Sorkin. That is Chura Obata. While this is ahead chronologically of where we are in our story, I do enjoy to take breaks in the narrative for us to catch our breaths by talking about something like art, for example. I've said this once before, and I will say it again. I think that one of the best ways to understand history is to enter the space through the side door, to pick an area of personal interest, whether it be visual arts, sculpture, poetry, engineering, flora, or fauna, or really anything, and use that as your entry point into learning about the history of a state, region, or nation that you want to explore. For me, visual arts is my favorite side door because you can pick up interesting material along the way that connects to many of the most important touchstones in the broader history. Obata, the visual artist that we are covering in today's episode, allows us to discuss the history of visual representations of Yosemite, Japanese immigration to the United States, and specifically California, internment and its effects, the entry of artists into the university systems, and much more. In addition to the side door, biography is another helpful entry point here. While I'm certainly the type to enjoy a massive tome of history like Continental Reckoning, which we've mentioned a number of times on this podcast, or the book that I'm reading right now, The Transformation of the World, A Global History of the 19th Century by Jürgen Osterhammel, reading books like the series on Lyndon Johnson written by Robert Carroll can teach you a lot about various periods in history but with helpful learning tool of having concrete touchstones, i.e. major points in a person's life, to grasp and hold on to. Recently, I watched the Christopher Nolan adaptation of the biography of Oppenheimer. This masterpiece gave people a primer on the politics of science, history of nuclear policy, the suspicions and paranoia of the McCarthy era, the complications of ending wars with WMDs. And that can do it more effectively sometimes than a straightforward Ken Burns-style narrative about the time. My hope with this episode, of course, is that his story becomes a lens for you to see this period of California history in a much more memorable and graspable way. Next week, I'll have an interview for you with Mitchell Schwartzer, who wrote a wonderful book about the history and development of urban Oakland. Without further ado, let's go meet Obata. Jira Obata was born in Sendai, Japan, on the island of Honshu in 1885. Sendai was often at the center of the transformations that rocked Japan throughout the 19th century. And for someone that became an interpreter of the natural landscape, 
Sendai had much to offer Obata's eyes to absorb. The city has often been called the City of Trees for the presence of the large number of Zelkova trees, which are these beautiful plants native to East Asia. In addition to the presence of the beautiful canopies of trees, the city is situated between the eastern plains that butts up to the Pacific Ocean, soaring mountains to the west, and a hilly landscape that makes up much of the central city area. The Hirose River is another main feature of the landscape of the city. Cherry blossoms line the river which attract tourists today from all over the world and from Japan. This is the early canvas that shaped Obata's eye. After the Meiji Restoration that took place in 1868, the city of Sendai began to modernize and industrialize in ways that transformed it and the surrounding region. Before this period, the city's primary industry, like many areas, was agriculture. However, the industrial emphasis led to the development of silk industries, sake brewing, shipbuilding, and more. In addition, the proximity of productive coal mining helped the city to cement its role in industrial Japan. Additionally, educational institutions developed in the area, but after the time in which they would have had a direct impact on Obata. All of this stuff was in process as Obata was growing up. Obata was the youngest of a large family and showed artistic promise from an early age. At five, apparently, he was already showing quite a bit of potential. He was adopted by his older brother, a practice that was fairly common for many different reasons in the 19th century in Japan, most likely in this case to support him financially, but also because his older brother was himself an artist. Obata learned the style practiced by his older brother of sumi painting. This art form originated in China, but was brought to Japan by Zen monks. The word sumi means ink, and oftentimes a vowel is added to the end, which refers to art. Generally, it is just translated as ink art. Like many art forms in Japan, sumi is often minimalist in its content, avoiding unnecessary details. The subjects tend to be nature-centered, and the purpose of the artist using this technique is not only to capture the subject, but also to capture its essence. This requires the artist to observe its movements, its forms, its changes, and more. Obata knew from an early age that he was going to be an artist, and was deeply attached to this idea such that when it was proposed that he should matriculate into a military academy, he actually ran away from home as a ploy to get what he wanted. And it worked. He moved from the city of Sendai, which was a large city in and of itself, to an even larger city in Tokyo and ultimately moved in with a practicing artist and started a formal apprenticeship. Apprenticeships in Japan in the early 20th century followed a particular pattern. Typically, apprentices would find a master craftsperson between the ages of 10 and 12, and then move in with them, becoming a kind of surrogate family. These commitments were long, often being many years in length, with an emphasis on certain moments as rites of passage toward the eventual state of self-sufficiency. I remember thinking about this relationship while watching the amazing documentary Jiro Dreams of Sushi and the complications of having a parent who also serves as your master. 
Sometimes the apprentice would continue to work with their master after formal apprentice relationship came to a close as a kind of skilled laborer that the master could trust to create art in keeping with the master's style and approach. But that's not what happened for Obata. At 17, he moved on from his apprenticeship and immediately began receiving commissions, with people identifying, almost at the start, his talent as unique. Soon after, Obata received a prestigious prize for art, which caused him to reflect on how small his world truly was in Japan, and how he needed to broaden his circle in order to keep growing. He told his father that he needed to see new places, find new subjects for his art, and that the best thing for him to do was to go to Paris, the center of the art universe at the time. Paris had many of the institutions necessary for a thriving artistic community, from prizes to schools and universities, art dealers, galleries, and cafe cultures. Consequently, it pulled artists from all around the world to its center and became the incubator for many of the most important movements and innovations in the artistic space. Obata likely had friends and fellow artists who had followed that predictable trail for ambitious artists who wanted to make a name for themselves. But it wasn't cheap to get there or to function as an artist there. So he planned to stop first in the United States to make some money and get more practice before heading to the center of the art world. Consequently, Obata in 1903 boarded a ship and set sail for two weeks on the Pacific before disembarking at the port in Seattle. Obata jumped headlong into all things American as soon as he landed on the West Coast. First, he knew that the utmost important thing was to learn the language. He was constantly studying and practicing, even going so far as to enroll in an elementary school to learn English. Like many of his fellow Japanese immigrants, he loved and desired to play baseball. And he just happened to land in the right place at the right time. Seattle, at this point, was home to Frank Fukuda, who is often labeled as the father of the baseball movement in the Pacific Northwest, and he was at this moment starting his first baseball team. Obata would in fact play pitcher on that team, and you can find pictures of him online in his uniform. Obata soon after decided to make a move to California, and specifically San Francisco and landed there just in time for the 1906 earthquake. Many of us hear that the earthquake of 1906 was destructive, but I don't think that the scope of the impact is readily understood. The quake measured a 7.8 on the Richter scale and could be felt all the way in Oregon. Its epicenter was right in the San Francisco area, which explains the nature and scope of the damage. The real damage, though, wasn't from the earth shaking, but from the fires, which resulted from broken gas lines all over the city. It took firefighters and just everyone who could help in the city almost three days to put those fires out, and by then, the damage was done. While the death toll was only in the thousands, which is still a large number by any measure, the number of homeless because of the fires and the earthquake was in the hundreds of thousands. Obata's own chimney fell down that was attached to his room in Japantown, and he used the opportunity to sketch some of the devastation, which is some of the best art that we had of this particularly destructive event. 
While Obata was in San Francisco, he needed to find a way to earn money and tried various means to accomplish this. At one point, he found himself in the fields of hops outside Sacramento. It's important to remember that Japanese immigrants were some of the original farm laborers in California and worked long, arduous hours in the fields. Eventually, many of them would become farm owners and operators and would become known for their diligence and productivity. Things would make a major turn for Obata when he met his wife, Haruko, in San Francisco. Like Obata, Haruko came to the United States to earn money, develop language skills, and learn more about her craft, which she intended to take home to Japan. But that plan changed when she met her future husband and fell in love. They were married in 1912 and soon after had their first child, followed by another one. It was a seeming situation of domestic bliss, which was accompanied by both of their artistic achievements. Haruko made moves in the realm of flower arrangement. She even had her arrangements featured in the Panama Pacific Exposition in San Francisco. The exposition was a World's Fair that was honoring the completion of the Panama Canal and the resilience of the city of San Francisco in rebuilding after the fire. Many Japanese art forms were featured in the exposition, flower arranging being one of many. Meanwhile, Obata was making progress in his own artistic career. From the years of 1915 to 1917, Obata was the illustrator and cover page designer for the magazine Japan. The magazine was a monthly travel magazine that was owned by a steamship company, probably trying to entice people to travel with them. In addition, Obata did artistic work for the California Monthly Magazine, which we talked about in previous episodes. While all these positive things were going on for Obata and his growing family, racism and xenophobia were also growing on the West Coast. Obata regularly had been spat on while walking home down the streets of San Francisco. Soon laws would be passed limiting immigration into the United States. In the next episode, we will continue Obata's story, featuring his love affair with Yosemite and the tragic turn of internment. See you then.